Ooh, smell that? It's a fresh new year. UK Motor Talk. Welcome back, everybody. Hello and Happy New Year. Hello. I'm Mike. This is UK Motor Talk. I'm Graham. And last time I looked, I was Dave. It was somehow we're middle of January already. And before we know it, it'll be summer, thank God, because it's currently minus three outside. I'm freezing my watsits off. Well, at least the weather's the sort of weather you expect at this time of year. Christmas Day, as per usual, was the usual mild, grey, miserable... There are no snowmen for miles around Christmas Day that we've come to expect. I think this is basically anyone who's denying climate change, there's your answer. But, I mean, it is quite nice to be a bit chilly and cold and um, does give me the smug excuse to press the button to clean all the frost off the windscreen of the car in the morning, which never really gets old. I haven't I haven't scraped a windscreen for a long time. It's uh, <laughs> and The less I have to do that, the better. So, yeah, no, it is, it is a bit parky, but, um, you know, it's winter. It's meant to be parky. Well, it's winter in Britain. It's meant to be parky. If you're on the other mm. side of the world, yes, it's not, is it? But we're here, and it's a British show. So, oh. yes, it's it's cold in Britain. There you go. It's winter. Our international uh, listeners are clearly having it rather better than we are. In every single way. It's minus 26 in parts of America. If, it, if it's minus 26 we are, write to us if you can, if you're not frozen solid. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, my, minus three. It's been bright and sunny. And I have to admit, because and I'm trying not to contribute to global warming here, but just because it was so nice yesterday, I did pop the roof open on the car and think, yeah, let's have the heating on just a little bit and then just enjoy enjoy having some sunshine coming in. Because it, there's something great about it. And there's there's something lovely, if it's not too salty, in going for a winter's drive in something and just enjoying the sunshine and, and the low sun and, and people not seeing you and crashing into the side of you and all that kind of stuff. Anywho. <laughs> Just on the subject of it being cold, as as you all know, if you live in this country, gritting lorries are a, a mm. fairly regular sight, more regular than they used to be following some um, bad press they had a few years ago. Well, not the lorries, but the uh, people who were supposed to send them out and didn't. Uh, and we all ended up slithering to the side of the road, as is our want, whilst people in the rest of the world laughed at us as they uh, sent out the snowplough and kept going at minus 30. Um, but according to a news report, uh, it seems that five National Highways gritters have been struck by other vehicles while they're out and about spreading salt last winter. Now, it does beg the question. How? Yeah, exactly. How do you miss the big yellow thing with the incredible amount of flashing lights all over it that is sort of spraying a massive spray of stuff that is, if nothing else, making a massive clattering noise on your car? You can't fail to miss these things unless you are blind. And if you are blind, you should not be behind the wheel of a car. <laughs> It's incredible. They've got flashing lights and everything. Perhaps blinded by the uh, the amount of grit that's being thrown <laughs> at them. But um, there's no excuse for it, is there? There's no excuse no. for hitting anything that large. If nothing else, I like to try and see what they're called when they're coming towards you. It's like, oh, it's Britney Spears again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's all kinds of different ones coming towards you. Um, yeah. But my, 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 what I tend to do is, is just get as far out of the way as is humanly possible from a gritter. Uh, I had some years ago, my, my prized cars were 18 years old and I met one coming down a country road. I'd slowed right down and well, the guy coming the other way was going full bore, gritting into oncoming traffic and it just absolutely obliterated the front end of my car, windscreen, everything made an absolute mess. 
So God knows how fast they were going. But yeah, I, I just try and stay well out of the way of these things. Britney Spears or not, how can you miss the giant yellow nunu thing coming towards you? They're massive. Well, that's, that's because you actually know what you're doing and you open your eyes. And again, as this is my favourite thing, um, you look further than the end of your bonnet. But it, I mean, it does say in mean, here, Darren Clark, who rejoices in the title of Severe Weather Resilience Manager at National Highway Centre. That's a great title. Isn't it? What do you do? Severe Weather Resilience. What do you do? I just make the tea. <laughs> Uh, it, it is quite shocking that five of our gritter vehicles were struck whilst in the course of their duties last winter season. With the current winter conditions, it's a timely reminder for drivers to give our vehicles the time and space they need to do their jobs to keep everyone safe. Now, there's there's a sentence that really doesn't need saying unless you really are so stupid that you can't avoid a big yellow nunu, as you said. If you see a big yellow truck squirting out loads and loads of grit out the back with big flashing orange lights and it isn't hanging around, it is probably, if nothing else, for your own safety, a good idea to get the hell out of its way. Although given the amount of water on some of our roads recently, I believe there have been one or two impacts on submarines as well. <laughs> you probably could find submarines in the puddles, I reckon, in the potholes, sorry, should I say. I think Nunu's are probably more likely to be the road sweepers, aren't they, thinking about it, because they're the ones that do the sucking. Um, <laughs> anyway, what have you been up to? Since the uh, since the beginning of the year, have you been up to anything automotive related? Mm, no, apart from reading a lot of stuff. And uh, oh, I did go and see Ferrari, the film, which you may or may not have seen yet. I haven't. Seen, I really want to see it. Any good? It's better than I expected. Adam Driver is quite convincing as Enzo Ferrari. It's based upon one of my favourite books, which is. Uh, Bock Yates' biography of Ferrari, which is the one that uh, Enzo Ferrari himself hated because it was really warts and all. And uh, Penelope Cruz, I have to say, is quite convincing as an actress. I've never previously rated her. And the crash scenes are spectacular. The final one is horrific. And, of course, it's um, it's a real event. It's the event in 57, which uh, saw the end of the meal milieu. Uh, the, the, the number of people killed was just too great for any authority to allow cars to race at full speed down public roads. Mm. End of an era. Yeah, a friend of mine went to see it today, and he's not a car nut in the slightest. He's he's more a film fan, and he said he absolutely loved it. And for him to say he likes film that's got cars in, it must be quite good. So I I would say that we've got both ends of the spectrum there, so it must be good. Perhaps the rest of us should go and see it. Yep, well worth a visit. Highly recommended. Maybe we should just add a... Do we need to say spoiler alert? It happened in 1957. Things there's probably uh, people probably aware of what's going to happen at the end of this film. Just uh, if you're interested in cars, you've probably heard at least on the periphery what that's about. Um, coming up next, we're going to spoil Group B rallying for you. What happened about that? Um, <laughs> uh, any news on your bongo? Have you been playing with your bongo friendy, Graham? Indeed, we've used it quite a lot. Um, we've got a little problem with the Volvo at the moment, so. The bongo has been pressed into service. We were intending to uh, effectively mothball it over the winter, but it's not been possible. So we're using that. It's, it's proved to be an absolute delight. I think it's a bit cold for sleeping in just at the moment, but um, everything else. And we're comforted by the fact that if we should happen to get stuck in a three-foot snowdrift, everything pretty much we could possibly want is already on board it. So uh, we're going to be running a soup kitchen, I would think, for anybody stranded near us. I have to admit, there must be. I don't, it's a weird sort of fantasy, I suppose, that I've got that I would be in a camper and then get stuck in traffic and have the smug factor of making us have a cup of tea. Um, there is a slight problem with this because not everybody understands the implications of what they do. And a local petrol station to me burnt to the ground, was raised to the ground by someone who decided to start cooking 
in the petrol station in the back of their camper and it got out of oh, hand right. which i think is it well at the pump which i think is incredible isn't it uh, <laughs> of all the things but nevertheless i like the idea of being able to make myself a cup of tea while stuck in traffic maybe using an electric kettle yeah um, perhaps gas stoves and uh, and petrol don't make uh, good bedfellows probably not um dave what have you been up to this year not an awful lot though at the end of last year um i was very very grateful for the services of uh, your employer because somebody very very kindly uh, went down the side of my car and did about 500 quids of damage to it while it was parked up and um it was all resolved for me and i'm very grateful and um so i got to sample some of the wares as well some of the um, the latest ford well couple of years old Ford, which is probably the newest thing I've driven in a while. And I have to say, the ST Line Vignali Fiesta is a fantastic thing. And I'm not just saying that because it's a Ford thing. It was it was just like getting back in a hot hatch again after however many years that I haven't been driving them. And I know it's only a mild thing, but the addition of the hybrid and the manual box and the you know and the typical Ford wieldiness, driving it down the back lanes to sort of bring it back up from the coast, take it back down when mine was fixed. Uh, I enjoyed that immensely. So, uh, yeah, I can give a ringing endorsement. It's a shame they've got rid of the Fiesta, but if you're going to go out, go out on a high with one of those. And it did make me wonder, does anyone really need the full-fat ST, really? This is pretty much every yeah. bit of... Every bit of technology I haven't got on my car, it had on it as well, and I soon got used to it. It was lovely. It was a, a bringing up to date for me, albeit through uh, circumstances I could have done without with. But um, yeah, it was great, it was, and it was nice to catch up with Jim again. I haven't seen Jim in a while. Um, apart from that, not a lot. I'm trying to keep my head down. It's a fizzy little feather, that thing, 155 horsepower. So five yeah. more horsepower than the two-litre Fiesta out of a one, the, the, the fist that we, we take to the track. Um, and in a one litre, and it, it does go really well. The hybrid bit doesn't really give you a huge amount of extra poke, but what it does is it makes it consistent all the way talky. through. So it, it's very yeah, it talky. Does, yeah. yeah, it, very feel, it fills in the gaps in the torque curve, and it's, it does make a, a good old difference. I'm, I'm a fan of that engine. I'd like to, to take one and maybe stick it in something like a Mark I or Mark II Escort. I think that would mm. be quite good fun because it would be very light, light over the, over the front. It would be perfect especially perhaps if you're competing in something like a below 1.3 class i think that that would do really well in something like a, a real drive escort be an interesting project it's a very interesting powertrain i i found mm. sort of after a week with it i was sort of playing with the the modes as well and i found actually ironically the um the green mode was very useful in um in traffic because of the drag that it puts on with the you know, sort of the regenerative braking. I mean, again, this is me. I'm so behind the times with things like this. I'm, you know, it was basically like a week's education in what the modern car, <laughs> modern car is. Um, I found it was quite good in traffic, especially with a manual box, because as soon as you sort of ease off the throttle, the thing's trying to brake, and so you weren't permanently sort of coming on and off the throttle. You could ride it far more, um, and just sort of maintain a good speed, which is quite good when you're trying to avoid letting Addison Lee cut in front of you on the on the Hammersmith flyover on a regular <laughs> basis. So, no, it was great. It was really good. It was a really good education, and it sort of got me thinking, you know, what – because I'm thinking of perhaps sort of moving the, the Skoda on and um, thinking what – you know, it, it sort of opens up other areas, and it sort of makes you realise what else is available out there now. There's a load of stuff out there, and there's been some stuff that's, that's really quite impressive. Surprising to me, I had a play with the new Tesla Model 3 recently, and the build quality, compare it to the S's and the like that have been around for 10 years now, 2014, I think they came out. Correct me if I'm wrong. Amazing no, that right. they've, they've been out that long. There's no bumps at all. 
it looks like a concept car when you get in there. Crossed with a bit of Jaguar XE with the lighting that goes round the, the side of the doors and across the top of the dash. Really nicely built, really nicely insulated. And as it turns out, you get quite used to having things like the indicators as buttons on the steering wheel, which I thought would be really odd. Uh, it's the kind of thing you'd expect Citroen to do, isn't it? Just put the buttons of the indicators up near the courtesy lights or something random like that, just because why not? <laughs> but yeah, I've got a used Gallic to... charm. <laughs> it is because I after this then drove the uh, the Tesla S Plaid, um, which is the quick one. It didn't have the uh, yoke style of steering, and it is big. It's sort of E class big. I'd forgotten actually how big a Model S is. It's been many many years since I last drove one. But good gravy is that thing fast. If you give it the full sausage, egg and beans, 1.9 seconds to 60. And it's quick. It's really quick, but it doesn't feel savage. It's odd. It's really odd. I don't know whether it's because it, it feels the power. It, it, it pushes you right back in the seat. You know, you know you're moving quickly and there's a little bit of a squirm as it takes off. But yeah, that, that thing is, is blistering. It reminds you what's possible with an EV drivetrain, whether we like them or not. And certainly we know that there's been uh, perhaps a dip in the global appetite for them but nevertheless it's it is deeply impressive as a piece of engineering even if it is only available in left-hand drive which apparently had been a bit of a problem for some of the other people driving because i kept driving into curbs and things but thankfully <laughs> quite used to a left left hooker so didn't really bother me too much just on the subject of electric cars it just suddenly occurred to me this is one thing that um, has been part of our new year here at home is we discovered this new series on earth x channel which i'm i think is pretty much everywhere it's a bit of a sort of green issues environment type channel um mm. very low data rate so obviously freeview and whoever else are carrying it don't don't give it too much credence but uh, there's a show on there called reverend gadget's garage which is absolutely brilliant it's a guy um i don't know if you you know we've spoken about this before and we met the guys at um the electric car show the green car show a few years ago the um the guys up in wales that do sort of electric car conversions which is a very slick outfit uh reverend gadget is this guy who basically spends a lot of his time uh, padding around burning man he's he's that sort of uh that sort of age and that sort of look and uh so on but he's a uh, he's basically almost evangelical about converting cars to electric and uh, mm. does it in this far less salubrious surroundings of south mm. central la and it's absolutely brilliant i cannot recommend this more i mean it's reality tv and there's a few setup bits in there but uh, on the whole it's really enjoyable telly we were bemoaning the lack of um car shows now top gears sort of gone off for permanent hibernation if you believe the rumors it might be back but not sure uh this this is a very good antidote uh if you get a chance have a look i did on your recommendation take a look and i quite enjoyed it uh, oh, oh right you, nice you do you do need to explain burning man though while i understand the <laughs> reference a lot of people won't but um a slightly crazy texan festival yeah basically they go out to the desert and worship things that are slightly off beam and um burn stuff including a man at the end of it but it's not a real one so don't worry it's not the wicker man made real it's um it's worth your time Good show. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Graham. I thought it might be up. Yeah, I did. No, I, I, I quite enjoyed it. I, I, it won't uh, supplant Wayne Carini because I do like <laughs> the classic cars. But um, oh, me too. Yeah, that's my marketplace. But uh, as we were discussing off air a little while ago, there's, there's a lot of TV shows about motoring, most of which are not very good. To be honest, the demise of Top Gear is um, no surprise to me. I, I was interviewed about it last year, um, just after the accident. 
and said then I thought it had run its course and somebody would die before they decided to give it a break. But um, I'm glad they have given it a break. Maybe they will come back refreshed and re rethink with a, a different formula. The formula that they were using, I think, was headed for disaster, a greater disaster. I'm very sad about it because even though it wasn't what it was, I'm a big fan of Chris Harris, who I think is, is excellent, but he was yeah, excellent like on YouTube. Um, and this is this is the problem, I think. You know, we might get people that will appear now since the, the big contender, Top Gear, is the car show, isn't it? We might see other, other pretenders coming into, into the public space on television. But what I was giving some thought to last night is that I'm not sure that we necessarily need the big car shows or even the smaller ones on television because there's so much excellent YouTube content out there now. It's available for free. Admittedly, you have to watch adverts unless you pay for premium, but let's face it, no one actually does that. Or unless you've got something that fast forwards the adverts for you, which of course is, is also excellent, maybe worth a, a look later on. Um, but nevertheless, if you think what's out there at the moment, Haggerty, I would say, is absolutely killing it. Um, mm. They have yeah, really high production values. It's, it's really interesting, really interesting stuff. And you get content from the US and from the UK. So a bit of a bit of a mix, but it is really well put together, really well researched and, and really quite interesting if you're interested in the cars rather than the challenges, I think, because it's about the cars. And I kind of wonder whether, as you said, Graham, maybe Top Gear had run its course with the challenges. I think they were always something that was secondary to begin. It started off as a reinvention of the car show and then the challenges sort of came on afterwards. I'm a big fan of, of Richard Porter, um, who wrote a lot of Top Gear and also a lot of the Grand Tour and writes a lot of bits and pieces, um, certainly for the original, I say the original trio of uh, the original reboot trio, should I say, of Top Gear. And is a huge, interesting chap and is also very good friends with Johnny Smith. Again, who has an excellent show, yeah. The Late Break Show. And that is superb. A, a true car guy. Um, you can see the way that he thinks very laterally um, and how he interacts with um, Richard Porter on Smith & Sniff, which is also excellent. We are saying other podcasts are available. I remember interviewing the two of them uh, a few years ago, two, three years ago, when um, the giant American conglomerate was uh, putting together a car show and TIFF and invited guests and so on and so on. And it, it, it just... It didn't seem to have the formula quite right. I think it was um, the the corporate input. Well, they didn't seem to get it quite right, and it failed quite quickly, mm. which was a pity. It had a lot of the right people involved. See, I I reckon I would like to see a show. I'm, I'm not quite sure whether three people is the right number of hosts or whether it just happens to work because that's what we're used to and as a Top Gear format again. But for me, Chris Harris, Catchpole, I think the two of them together would be excellent, and Johnny Smith. Those three would make an excellent show together. Um, well, bring back some... bring back William Woolard as well. I think <laughs> <laughs> there was there was a uh, there was a thing on Practical Classics the other day that really made me chuckle, <laughs> and it, it's called William Woodarding, and it's the pose with your foot up on the front bumper, leaning into the bonnet, and so people were submitting their own William Woodard mm. poses, and then he came back. <laughs> And commented on it when it's nice to see people remember me for this. So I, I, lo I love the idea that you could go out there and I'm, I'm going to start doing this, William Woodarding on my car, particularly actually before, whilst I think of it, things that have been gone on since this year, particularly as my car now has an engine in it as of the weekend. Oh, well done. A real one. Yep. It has a real ST engine in there. It's sat there. It's I haven't plumbed it all in. I haven't done anything else with it really at the moment, but it's in there. There is 
around about, oh, let me think, maybe 10 mil, maybe, so what's what, approaching half an inch if you're, if you're interested in the old English, on one side and maybe a bit less on the other of the engine. It's tight getting the thing in there, but it's in. And yeah, I hope to have that running soon. But if you're interested in that, best thing to do is check out our YouTube channel. We are at UK Motor Talk and you can follow my progress on there. But yes, I must mention that. Back to uh, back to motoring shows. So what do we think about the accessibility of, of YouTube versus the traditional motoring shows? They're more immediate. They can respond more quickly. Uh, mm. There's more up-to-date content. The thing with Top Gear, I mean, yes, they used to do it week to week, but um, the stuff was planned and scripted, lest we say it, weeks, months, months in advance. In advance. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the whole stuff. I mean, they used to do the news, but even that was sort of pretty much just sort of last month's PR blurb wasn't it so i i mean i i'm like you i'm a massive fan of youtube you can tailor your content i've you know i've said it many times i love stuff like doug demuro uh which you know the the stuff he does is more skewed towards the states but mm. you know it's interesting to see stuff we don't get and i love the fact that he occasionally he does the sort of stuff from over here that is now starting to pop up over there un- under the 25 year rule Things that were forbidden fruit to them are now starting to appear. Things we used to take for granted. I mean, you did think about the multipler, which, if you know Doug Demiro, you'll know that uh, quirks and features are his big thing. Uh, the multipler basically had him wetting his pants uh, because it is one big quirk and feature, and that I find very, very enjoyable. I like seeing people's infectious enthusiasm on things like that. I loved that car when I when I drove it. I thought it was brilliant concept, but. Didn't find a ready acceptance, but it was just great fun. Yeah, um, willfully different. You, I have to just call you up, multipler. Have I, have I been pronounced? Is it not the multipler? Have I not been calling this wrong for years? What? I, I've always, I don't know. What well, I, I, don't, say? I think D- Dave has a fi- finer Italian accent. I think <laughs> yeah. this is this is yeah. when when you when you um, learn Italian from watching um, Michael Caine. Right, well, <laughs> Benny, Dad. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I must tell you about this because I was on a training course some years ago and there was a, the chap at the front was presenting and he was a lovely chap, very interesting, very charismatic, um, you know, brown shoes and, and bright pink socks. And uh, he was waxy <laughs> lyrical about, uh, I think it was how the KA had saved Ford as an example. And I said, what about the Mondeo and the Focus? They kind of glossed over those. And he was he was talking about the Mon- Mondeo, and he said, and of course, the competition, the Vauxhall Cavalier. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what? Love it, love it. What the Vauxhall Cavalier? And I, 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 I just I couldn't help myself. I just just went, what? what? In in an auditorium full of people, I just it just is it, burst is that straight Morris out. Morris Cavalier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the uh, it's a Chevalier, mate. The Vauxhalls, yeah, Vauxhall, Vauxhall Chevalier. Um, I think yeah. you'll find it's pronounced, yes, Chevalier, <laughs> Chevalier. God's uh, sake, man, yeah. sit down. It was just, just that moment, just popped into my head. It's, I was watching, I've been watching some really old motoring reviews. I said, really old, these are ones from. Uh, was it was Sierra Mark One, so really early eighties, I suppose. Hang on, I was I was writing some of those, so be careful what you say. But this is a, <laughs> these, are, these are over forty years old, so yeah, I think we could probably fair to say they're not not recent. And they were talking about the move from saloon to the more useful hatchback, and I just love the way that it's punctuated in all of them. Yes, I'm interested in the hatchback. <laughs> <laughs> just 
what is, is this how it was? Have we just now? Are we just that cool? We've just hatchback. And of course, everybody forgot the Austin A40, which was, I think, the first UK hatchback. But there you go. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. I think the I mean the first one that we probably had in number would have been the Maxi, wouldn't it? The first one that was probably the big market every day before the Golf came along. Went no, this is how you yeah. do a hatchback. Bye bye. British car industry. Um, hatch yeah, back. hatch back. Um, was was it uh, was it Woolard uttering those words? I mean, it could have been because um, you know those of us from the other side of the uh, the Channel Guide uh, will vaguely remember the fact that Thames Television, insert clapping here, uh, <laughs> used to have its own uh, car show with Tony Bastable, who used to present Magpie before the man with the big hair turned up. And uh, there you go. Now I'm dating myself, but they had a car show, basically Top Gear, done by ITV, and was very much flares and polyester and and so on. But they, it's actually really enjoyable to go back. And Thames have a very powerful archive, and they leverage that by releasing all the sorts of things. Drive in, that was what it was called. Drive in. Um, they release edited highlights of these and it's fantastic to watch and see what was the the other offering basically is top gear but not made at pebble mill but shot around <laughs> sandown park and brooklands as was uh it's interesting to see bits of old brooklands back in the day oh there we go shaw taylor as well i'm just being uh, reminded was another uh-huh. one yeah keep and peeled for him oh see what i did uh oh an x19 Yes, I forgot that one was on there. So that's probably worth going and seeking out. But I mean, I think to get back to the point, there is a ton, an absolute ton of stuff on YouTube, uh, completely uncurated. So go out and find it and you will find (laughs) stuff that you will just, it will have you locked in and not bothering about watching telly ever again. There you go. I've killed television. It it is the equivalent of the good, the bad and the ugly, though. I've seen some. Uh, extraordinary things if you go searching for fixes no, and Graham. things. No, 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 no. None of this niche automotive content. We can't talk about that on the air. Just, we, we've, we've spoken about this before. No, 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 no. We can't <laughs> talk about that. I liked, oh. uh, There was one, one that I saw that I really enjoyed was the guy who was uh, fixing a, a little problem on his Volvo drive shafts and persuaded his daughter, I think it was three or four, to hold the mobile phone while he gave it a sound kicking. It was like the US equivalent of John Cleese. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it didn't work, and the camera work was um, what we would expect normally of um, BBC Two. No, a three- or four-year-old. I love it. I absolutely love it. Things that are coming up this year, then, or not coming up this year, because you spotted something, Dave, didn't you, that's been cancelled for the same reason as the London to Brighton Mini Round. Yes, anyone who's um, who's into their cars, particularly classics and so on, will know of the name of the Bromley Pageant, which has been going for mm. over 40 years and um, takes place, or did take place, spoiler alert, in the London borough of Bromley, which just about sort of abuts to Kent. But unfortunately for the Bromley Pageant, its location is just inside the ULES zone. And... Uh, you know, I think you'd have to have been living under a rock to not know what the ULES zone is and the political 
how should we say, the unpleasantness that it has uh, caused in certain circles. We won't go mm. into the whys and wherefores and the rights and wrongs, but uh, it is a casualty, the Bromley pageant, which is a bit of a shame because it's a very well-regarded show. People came from all over for that, not just from around the southeast. Uh, it did attract uh, a lot of people from all over. So, unfortunately, they've had to take the difficult decision to cancel that for this year. I think they're going to look for somewhere further out into Kent for next year, which, you know, is something to look forward to. But it uh, it is a casualty, and, uh, you know, Know, these are the realities of uh, what the mayor's introduced. I believe there's another one as well, isn't there, that's closer to your heart, Mike? It is, yeah, and it is the London to Brighton mini run. I missed the last one last year, and that is probably the last one because, again, you, Les, it's a problem. When I last went, we went from Cheam Park, so not quite to Crystal Palace, but they, they definitely don't want us anymore. And if you drove a very specific route out of Cheam Park, you managed to find yourself making your way through without touching the Eulers, I think. But uh, it's not really going to be possible this year. Whether or not on the same weekend of the year there happens to be a lot of minis driving from London to Brighton, I don't know. Uh, it might happen. Uh, we'll see, I'm sure. And as I've said before many times, my ridiculously expensive to tax, and it's now like £440 a year or something stupid, mini, is ULES compliant. Um, so I can I can actually still go around and you know not do handbrake turns around central London but you get the point uh, I can I can drive through but nevertheless yeah another events casualty um, it does make me wonder whether maybe there should be some sort of licenses for this I don't know quite how you'd implement it but I guess you could do it in the same way they do the dark charge where you have cars on one account or something you pre-program the registration numbers in and the difference is that rather than being prepaid it would allow them through for the sake of these these bigger events but I guess it's not in the spirit of having a, a, a low emission zone, is it? Because if you suddenly have, I don't know, a load of uh, a load of trucks coming in or something for Truck Fest in central London, the big diesel things probably uh, defeats the point of it. So, yeah, I think probably those have gone. I encountered the practicalities of Ulez over the weekend because um, we normally take the Volvo to London. That wasn't possible. So we took the Bongo, which is, of course, a diesel. And it's an older diesel, so it doesn't comply with anything, basically. So I had to uh, work out how to open an account, which irritated me that you couldn't just pay the charge. I mean, the charge is bad enough as it is. But the fact that I, it took me probably an hour, I would think, uh, on the mobile phone just to open the account and prove who I was and that I was entitled to register that vehicle and to pay the ULOS charge on that. So from a functional point of view it's it's incredibly irritating i guess if you're using it regularly perhaps less so once you've got the account but i found it really irritating aside from having to pay to take the diesel in but you know that is the rules that is what it is and we've got to comply with it yes us mere mortals do i unfortunately have to have to work work with it but i'm not going to go into you guys again because we've spoken about this at length and i, I yeah, think yeah. you've probably heard enough of it from us but uh but yeah it, it's a shame to see these events disappear off the problem would be really i guess if it's expanded further out and further down and further around and uh there will undoubtedly be those of us that end up with cars which will be non-compliant and it will be a do I want to take the car out and pay my £12.50 or something to take the car out for on a Sunday? And if that is the case, and it does become something that's much, much wider, then I hope that they uh, they perhaps exchange the road tax for that. So at least when I do my 2,000 miles a year, maybe 1,000 miles a year, 500 miles a year, I don't feel quite so bad about paying £12.50. There's an awful lot of other motor shows dotted around the country outside of uh, 
the M25, I, I, for one. I'm hoping to try and do a few more this year, but I, I spotted local one to well, relatively local one to me, which was the Bexhill Motor Show. Bexhill claims to be the uh, inventor of motorsport. I find mm. that um, a little unlikely, but uh, it held some of the earliest racing in this country, public racing. But I hadn't realised that their motor show was quite as large as it was. There's about 300 or so vehicles mm. each year. So I'm going to try and make a visit to that this year because there's some interesting stuff in there. Maybe you could take your friend in and you could pitch up in the middle of the show because that's a, an interesting card and important everything else. And it's different. Again, smug fact, a cup of tea in the middle. Yeah, so I could turn it into a burger van, but I think my good lady might disagree with that. A smug of tea. Ah, let's see what I did there. <laughs> yeah. Very good. There is one car which, of course, won't need to worry about you, Lesnar. If cars are old enough, or indeed expensive enough, you probably don't care anyway. But you've spotted one that tickled your pickle, Graham, haven't you? Uh, I did, and I, I, having torn it out of a newspaper, which I think was probably the, the Times, but uh, it fascinated me because this was a £3 million Bugatti, and it, it raised certain questions in my mind. If your wife was celebrating her 70th birthday, would you buy her a near 300-mile-an-hour Bugatti? More so than that, this uh, very wealthy couple went to Bugatti and said they wanted a one-off. Bugatti agreed to uh, build them just that. So they essentially have taken apart a Chiron. They've extended it. They've uh, added more power, as if you needed more power. And they've come up with a 70th birthday present, which is a Bugatti one of one. Now, I, I need to look up the, the, the numbers. Um, it does uh, 273 miles an hour, and um, they've currently got it on tour. Yeah, it should, should be enough. It has a mere 1,578 brake horsepower. That'll pull a train, basically. But, I mean, it's a wonderful-looking car. It's the, the W12 engine. But um, it is now the most powerful iteration of that particular engine. And, and styled rather on the uh, uh, Bugatti 57 Atlantic Coupe, which is mm, one of the most car. beautiful cars of all time. So uh, the lady in question saw one of the Bugatti 57s in a museum and her very generous husband has gone to Bugatti and said, um, can we have one of these, please, but a modern one? And they've done just that, three million quid, but there you go. I suspect if I went and bought a car of that kind of ilk for my wife for her birthday, she would go, you bought that for you, didn't you? Ha. <laughs> yes, and I suspect that is the the case as well in this instance. But uh, They were apparently on a grand tour of America. Not the grand tour, not the one we were referring to earlier, their own personal grand tour. And I should think they've probably got an oil well in tow um, because uh, with that sort of power output, must be costing them a fortune, even at American uh, costs of fuel. I suppose if you've got three million in the bank, or maybe the interest from that, you probably don't need to worry about the the maintenance of it so much, do you? It's never going to go down in value. That's always going to be worth at least the three million as a one of one. What a, what a thing! Savvy investment as a one of one. It can only appreciate, can't it? Mm. And I do hope they both appreciate it. <laughs> oh, oh. I did see. Sorry, this is completely apropos of nothing. I did see a car that probably really having an electric engine in it is probably the best thing they could do. the The new Rolls Royce Spectre. Is it the Spectre? 
Mm, That's got, spectre, yeah. got the electric. I mean, if ever anything needed an electric engine to make it the car, it should have been probably about a hundred years ago. Rolls Royce has been waiting for this moment, really, hasn't it? Mm. Electric, um, electric drive. I mean, again, another thing just to go back to the program that I mentioned earlier on. Reverend Gadget is seeing them put um, electric motors into DeLoreans. I mean, we, I, That's when perfect. I. Well, when I when I spoke to them at the uh, the electric show a couple of years ago at um, Farnborough, the guys were there from Wales, and uh, we we spoke at length there. I think it's in the it's in the back catalogue. We spoke at length about how it probably was the perfect the perfect car with the perfect engine. Again, DeLorean ahead of mm. his time. If if he'd had his way back then, it would have been electric power and. Um, Things might have been very different for Mr. DeLorean, but you know, now now we're putting things right. Mm. It sounds just like a Cybertruck. Oh, don't get me started on that. Mm-hmm. Not coming to the UK. Are they not? Oh dear, what a shame. It can't pass pedestrian safety because it's just a solid front end. There's no crumple zone, which is ridiculous, isn't it? When you consider the hoops you have to go through to make things compliant for federal regulations in the states, yet yeah. ah, there are any pedestrians. Don't worry about that. Pedestrians are squishy. They're not likely to cause any damage to your car, but they do sue. But they do sue. Yeah, it. I, I said exactly the same thing to the chap I was chatting to from Tesla. I said, how is it that when we've exported things over abroad, and think of the stuff from the 70s, we used to have to get rid of chrome bumpers and stick big rubber things on. Think about the, yep. the Mark 1 Focus with the massive front and rear bumpers, like a boat on the back of it. Why is this suddenly okay? But apparently it's okay. This is post-Ralph Nader, so uh, there's nobody to make a big fuss about it, so... Well, it's damaged to... I mean, it tells you everything. It's um, The cars are immune to damage to themselves, but not to the squishy people that happen to be walking. But then if you're walking alongside cars in America, then there's something wrong with you because it is the car culture. You can't walk anywhere in LA, can you? You need a car just to cross a sort of six-lane road. You can't just cross or go in an underpass. You have to literally get in your car and drive around it to the next intersection and then come back. I think it just tells you everything about the culture of the car in America. Cars, you know, we can't damage each other's cars, but uh, squishy people, ah, you'd be right. Many years ago, in Sacramento in California, uh, walked out of the house that daughter was living in at the time to walk to the nearest shopping mall. And people were very suspicious of how humans were walking on a road that was... If, if it wasn't illegal, it was very, very odd behaviour. We got some very strange looks and a lot of people tooting at us. Gee, walkers. I wouldn't do it again. You do look suspicious. <laughs> I look suspicious all the time. That's not a problem. I live with it. Probably thought you were a spy or something. <laughs> Communist. <Yeah. laughs> uh, it's perhaps the, the English accent. That's what it is. Well, on that mighty digression, it's probably time that we say goodbye. It's been lovely to come and see you again. Uh, thank you for listening to us and we look forward to speaking to you next time. In the meantime, you can always find us on the socials at UK Motor Talk everywhere. You can listen to our back catalogue via our website. We are UK Motor Talk. And so from me, Mike, goodbye. From me, Graham, goodbye. Take care and just go easy on the roads. And from me, Dave, what he said. See you next time. Cheers. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production. Watch for gritters.